The next equinox is less than a month away, and the late summer heat intermixes with the first few signs of fall. Children are back in school, though some are still attending from their homes. That's one sign of how the details of our world can change. At the same time, we know precisely how our planet moves around this solar neighborhood that we are in. Today's installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement takes a slightly more direct approach to the idea of resiliency. It's August 25th, 2021, and I'm Sean Tubbs, your host. On today's show, highlights from the Resilient Recovery Conference being held by Resilient Virginia. That includes a broad overview of the link between transportation systems and climate change. Then the University of Virginia Health System moves to make COVID vaccination mandatory for employees. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, with the summer heat in full swing, your local energy nonprofit, Leap, wants you and yours to keep cool. Leap offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. The COVID surge in Virginia continues, with the seven-day average for positive tests increasing to 9.8%, and another 3,453 new cases are reported by the Virginia Department of Health today. The seven-day average for new tests is at 2,731. At the same time, the seven-day average for vaccination shots per day has risen to 15,011. Officials at the University of Virginia Health System announced they would require all employees to become vaccinated or to face disciplinary action. Wendy Horton is the chief executive officer for the UVA Health System. Between now and November 1st is where we'll be working with um, anybody that isn't vaccinated to to get vaccinated. And that means for us uh, fully vaccinated with Um, the last dose of vaccination plus two weeks by by November 1st. We feel that it's really an important time uh, to to make this change with the Delta variant and with the information that we know about the effectiveness of vaccines. We feel that it is a very important um, step that we can take uh, to to really help in this pandemic. As of today, 86% of the health system's staff are vaccinated, though that does not include contractors. The move comes two days after the Food and Drug Administration granted full authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. And the bulk of today's show is coverage of the Resilient Virginia Conference that's underway. Resilient Virginia is a nonprofit formed in 1995 to help raise awareness of ways communities across the Commonwealth may need to change in response to any number of calamities that may come our way due to climate change, heat waves, drought, extreme rainfall, invasive species. Seven years ago, the organization changed its name from the Virginia Sustainable Building Network in order to put a sharper focus on the topic. This week, they're holding an online gathering they're calling the Resilient Recovery Conference. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam kicked off the event this morning. Over the past 16 months, 
the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the importance of comprehensive resiliency plans that address health, social, and economic concerns together with the increasing and significant impacts of climate change. Northam said one of the top priorities in his one four-year term has been climate change. Individual initiatives include the Coastal Adaptation and Resilience Master Plan and the Community Flood Preparedness Fund. Virginia has joined the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Last year, I signed the Virginia Clean Economy Act in law. Virginia is now one of just a few states and the first in the South to adopt a 100% clean electricity standard. Northam signed Executive Order 24 in November of 2018 to direct the administration to prepare for sea level rise and other natural hazards. The number of federally declared disasters has steadily increased nationally and in Virginia. The number has experienced a 250% increase in federally declared disasters over the past 20 years, including declarations for flooding, hurricanes, severe storms, and wildfire. That order cites an earlier report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a report that is now outdated because the IPCC released another one earlier this month that suggests change is inevitable to the weather system we have known throughout our lives. We'll hear that report being referenced throughout this program. As these types of events become more frequent and more intense, so do the threats to public health and safety, our environment, and our economic well-being, including our ports, military installations, infrastructure, tourism, assets, farms, and forests. Just before the event began, Northam's press office announced that Dominion Energy will lease space from the Port of Virginia at the Portsmouth Marine Terminal as a staging area for the wind turbines that will be erected 27 miles off of the coast of Virginia Beach. Crystal Lehman is the Deputy Director for Climate Resilience at the White House Council on Environmental Quality. She repeated that the impacts of predicted climate change are being felt now. Over the past few years, the U.S. has seen the number of weather and climate disasters with losses exceeding 1 billion skyrocket. From the years 2000 to 2009, there was an average of six disasters a year, each totaling a billion dollars. Last year alone, the United States faced 22 such events with a cumulative price tag of nearly $100 billion. Lehman said investment in mitigation before disaster strikes can save money, but acting now can also help to save lives. In his first week of office, President Joe Biden signed Executive Order 14008. Every agency must be a climate change agency. A whole-of-government response ensures that the federal government presents a unified front on climate and considers climate resilience in every decision. The executive order established a national task force on climate change. That group's fifth readout came just after the latest IPCC report. A particular concern is sea level rise. It's important to recognize that while coastal, coastal areas make up less than 10% of the land area of the United States, they're home to nearly 42% of the population. This week, volunteers across the country, including Charlottesville, are measuring the urban heat island effect. Lehman said extreme heat is another concern. The devastating heat waves harming so many facets of people's lives and the community. 
The urban heat island effect increases those vulnerabilities. In addition, extreme heat hits people's wallets with increased energy costs, which creates greater energy burden. Lehman also mentioned other initiatives, such as Justice 40, a program that seeks to ensure that 40 percent of federal investment in mitigation goes to disadvantaged communities. In April, President Biden set an ambitious target to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. President Biden has set a new target of 50 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. I will repeat that again. 50 percent reduction in greenhouse gas by 2030. The current targets for Albemarle and Charlottesville to hit are 45 percent of emissions by 2030 and to be carbon neutral by 2050. The University of Virginia seeks to be carbon neutral by 2030 and fossil free by 2050. But that's the future. Where does Lehman think we are now? The recent IPCC report on climate change shows that some amount of the climate change activity is already unavoidable. While we're working to reduce carbon emissions, we need to prepare for the climate impacts we're already seeing today. More from the Resilient Virginia Conference in just a moment. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and an edition almost solely devoted to the first day of today's Resilient Virginia Conference. But now, time for another subscriber-supported public service announcement. Do you ever look at a tree and wonder what kind it is? In September, the Charlottesville area tree stewards will hold several identification walks in city parks for people who want to know more about the bark, leaves, and the flowers of our wooden neighbors. These talks and walks are free, but you'll have to register because the groups are limited to 16. Your choices are September 5th at Penn Park, September 11th at the Botanical Garden of the Piedmont, or September 24th at the University of Virginia. They all begin at 11 a.m., and you can learn more at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. now back to the Resilient Virginia coverage. One of the first panels dealt with one of my favorite subject areas, transportation. Angela Conroy is the Senior Air Quality Planner with the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality. We're we're having this conversation this morning because the scientists have measured a one degree Celsius increase in global temperature. The increase in global temperature is being caused due to human-related carbon dioxide emissions that have drastically risen have risen over the past several decades. Transportation makes up a good portion of those emissions, and reforming the way we move around is intended to reverse the trend. So reducing greenhouse gas emissions from the uh, transportation sector, sector is essential to curbing national and statewide emissions. Currently, the mainstream strategies to achieve transportation decarbonization include the deployment of light, medium, and heavy-duty zero-emissions vehicles, the deployment of electric vehicle charging stations, investing in research, development, demonstration, and deployment efforts for new generation renewable fuels, uh, particularly in the aviation sector. Conroy said other investments include transit, as well as other ways to reduce overall vehicle miles traveled. She also said other tools will be required, such as carbon sequestration, taking out carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, 
and reducing methane and other gases that contribute to the warming of the global atmosphere. And while attempts are being made to reduce emissions, the effects are also presenting themselves. Virginia climate change poses a significant threat to Virginia communities, infrastructure, and the economy. The state has the highest rates of sea level rise on the Atlantic seaboard with more than 34,000 buildings, 534 square feet miles of coastal land at risk of flooding by 2060. Some of the costs to prepare for those mitigation steps will be covered by Virginia's participation in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Conroy said there have been two auctions so far that related to Virginia in which various polluting entities pay to exceed their allowed emissions allotment. Two auctions in Virginia to date have produced over $84 million of, of, of available revenue for flood mitigation and resiliency projects and for energy efficiency projects. Decarbonizing the electricity sector is absolutely necessary for decarbonizing transportation, as well as buildings and the industrial sector. Virginia has also been tapping into its share of the Volkswagen Mitigation Trust Fund, a fund created when that automaker was caught lying about some of its vehicle emission standards. About $60 million of the $93.6 million the Commonwealth has received has been awarded, including an announcement last week of the purchase of electric school buses, including two for Albemarle County. Looking to the future, legislation passed the General Assembly this year to require the State Air Pollution Control Board to set up a low-emission and zero-emission vehicles program to regulate tailpipe emissions in new vehicles. Conroy said over 60,000 electric vehicles were sold in Virginia in June, the highest amount to date. Another bill passed to create a rebate program for electric vehicles, but that has not yet been funded. Conrad said rapid deployment on many fronts is required if warming is to be kept below the 1.5 degrees Celsius figure. So that's the view from the state level. Well, what about the view of the state level from a regional perspective? Jeremy Holmes is the executive director of the Roanoke Valley Allegheny Regional Commission. That's a group akin to the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. Before Holmes took on his current job, he ran a sustainable transportation program in that part of Southwest Virginia. We actually worked with four other uh, planning districts. Uh, We covered uh, a geography the size of the state of Massachusetts in Southwest Virginia. So that included kind of our urban centers of of Roanoke, Lynchburg, uh, and Blacksburg. But as you can imagine, most of what we dealt with was uh, our rural communities, rural counties, cities, and towns. Holmes said the economic shutdown that occurred at the beginning of the pandemic gives a glimpse into what could happen if people change behavior. But he was frank about the transportation problems facing rural Virginia. One of the fundamental things to remember is that um, these transportation systems are almost exclusively based on single single occupant vehicle travel. So the infrastructure, the services, the locations of stuff almost entirely assume that you are getting to these places, accessing these services in yourself or by yourself uh, in your own motor vehicles. Holmes said this leaves many rural communities isolated. Many are already shrinking in population and in job opportunities. The impact here really is that um, 
people, in order to access jobs and work, now have to drive farther and farther than they did before. So like in Virginia, for example, Martinsville, Danville area used to have the highest percentage of billionaires in the country driven by the furniture and textile industry. Now it's one of the highest areas of poverty uh, in the state. And Martinsville, Danville commuters are commuting to Lynchburg, Roanoke, uh, farther away, an hour each way, which means they're driving more. They're driving by themselves and taking more, more time. Uh, they're emitting more on these long trips, um, and they're more vulnerable. Vulnerable in particular to the volatility in fuel prices. Specialized health care is also located in urban areas, and state transportation funding formulas and processes means more funding goes to urban areas. That includes maintenance funds, which may lead to more damage as rainfall increases. These communities have often fragile infrastructure. They have relatively few roads, bridges that are uh, way beyond when they should have been maintain- maintained, uh, and surprises like sinkholes and things just waiting to be waiting to happen as they address issues of flooding and storm surges and mudslides uh, and that sort of thing. On the plus side, Holmes said telework and telehealth may be ways to reverse those trends if they can become more commonplace as the pandemic continues. He also said efforts to increase rural broadband may help reduce some kinds of trips. Holmes said many rural communities that had been on hard times might have more positive futures as the 21st century continues, if there is investment. Our small communities have great bones. Like these are places that were built and sort of lived at a human scale for a long time. And uh, they still have that scale. Now, a lot there's been huge disinvestment. Buildings are emptier or abandoned and need a lot of work. But mostly the community scale um, is there so that if folks don't have to drive long distances to get to things, the infrastructure is in place, the building stock is in place to revitalize these communities to places people want to live and can have access to the services that they are now going out farther to to get to. We'll have more from the Resilient Virginia Conference over the next week or so. Really did appreciate that I was able to uh, attend that today and bring you all of this information. It's exactly the sort of thing that I'm here to do this for uh, on this program. But that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a program that seeks to bring you information such as this as we prepare for whatever comes next in this crazy world of ours. Um, This time around, uh, you know, in this little last bit, this is where I usually do my plugs for myself and the work that I'm doing. And uh, this is no exception. You did hear those shout outs. You heard two of them. Uh, Both of them came from contributors to the program. Leap is a paying member. They pay $25 a month through Patreon to get that. Um, The price is going to increase in the near future for those types of things. So if you want to get in now, it's a good time. The price will stay at $25 a month if you get in before the end of this month um, or the end of October, maybe. Um, This is all an experiment. What we're doing here is an experiment, just the way that humanity has always been, I suppose. Um, But that's through Patreon. The other thing you can do is subscribe through Substack at $5 a month, $50 a year, $200 a year. The company Ting, speaking of broadband, 
the company Ting will match that, which is fantastic. They are my sole commercial sponsor, and I'm very appreciative of them for that. The best thing you can do, though, is just to send this on to somebody else. Uh, you know, this is a program that I'm hoping that uh, as we deal with a more complex world, or a world that's always been complex, uh, it's my belief that you all need information. I need information. And, uh, and I really, if you could, send it on to somebody else and let me know what you think about it. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Thanks again, as always, for listening. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of the program. Thank you very much for being here today. And I'll be back tomorrow with another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Stay safe out there. 